Hi, beautiful listeners. Welcome to the Teacher Healer podcast, where we get to geek out on all things education and heal the world at the same time. In this episode, I'm joined by Francine McCall, Director of Functional Education. After a career in hydrology and coastal engineering, Francine decided to pursue her childhood dream of becoming a teacher. After qualifying, she taught science at a public college before transitioning into the Waldorf Steiner system. When her life took an unexpected turn, Francine needed to find ways to continue her passion for teaching outside of the traditional classroom environment. She now spends her days reimagining education and co-creating learning experiences filled with wonder and connection. Listen to us chat about her journeys through alternative learning environments and the value of involving students, parents, and cultural leaders in learning design. Hi, Francine. Thanks so much for joining us on the Teach Healer podcast this week. Thank you for inviting me. It's great fun. I had such a good time in our conversation last time. I'm really excited about this episode. Um, Now, we were talking about your teaching career and you did quite a lot, like a long stint in the classroom yourself. And um, a lot of that was in Steiner Waldorf system, which you said you really enjoyed. Um, But that all came to a bit of a a rough end. Do you mind sharing a little bit about what happened? (laughs) Oh, you mean the day in the the back of the the field of the school with all the school and all the parents and all the kids and everyone in costume and we're at the Kaylee and we're dancing and um, and then I dropped dead in the middle of it all. You mean that bit? (laughs) Yeah, that bit, that bit. That sounds so dramatic. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, you really shouldn't do that on the backfield. It really freaks out the children. (laughs) Particularly when they have to see their teacher being, you know, revived. But um, I was born with a uh, dodgy heart condition and Mm. it chose that moment to, in the middle of the Kaylee dance, in the middle of the school festival, that it had had enough and it was going to be tired and have a rest and require replacing. So um, I went through that and came out the other side and they went, you can't get back in a classroom, I'm afraid, because you're going to be immunocompromised and you can't be locked in a snot box with 30 little snot monsters breathing on you all day. You can't be in an assembly hall with 200 people coughing and breathing. So um, goodbye to your teaching career. And I went, uh, no. Yeah. But no thanks. We're coming up with plan B. So you haven't gone back into a classroom, I heard. Not a full big school environment classroom. I uh-huh. have, however, gone into three other types of learning environments, shall we call them, for want of a better word. That's fun. So tell us a little bit about those. Okay, so I have an online learning environment. So my husband built me a film studio at home. He's a very dear, dear man. And uh, he could see that I was devastated that I couldn't go teaching because I hadn't always been a teacher I'd always Mm -hmm. wanted to be a teacher my whole life I wanted to be a teacher and um, I wasn't allowed to be a teacher because my dad said teachers are people who can't do anything else so I had to go and get a degree in something useful and sensible so that I could live a successful life so I went off and I was a scientist for years and years and years and years anyway I hit 30 and my best friend and I looked at each other and went this sucks we so want to be teachers. So we went off and trained and we were teachers and I loved it. I'd chosen it as an adult. It was my everything. I was just delighted in getting up in the morning. And I loved not being out in that corporate world that I used to be in. And um, so, of course, when this all happened, initially we thought, oh, well, I'll end up back in the corporate world. I'll end up back as a scientist. And I went, oh, I just don't want to. I've had too yeah. much fun teaching. It's where it's at. It's where all the good stuff is. So. Um, My husband sold his race car and he sold his trailer and he emptied out his big garage and he um, built me a film studio in his garage to start with and he he bought me cameras and a computer set up and he hired me a videographer for a couple of weeks to teach me what to do and he got me started and that's where we that's where we began we've got a full functioning film studio now that was a couple of years ago we've got a full functioning film studio now but at the start I started in his garage with him 
I mean, that's love selling a race car and setting up a film studio for your wife. So well done. Kudos to him. Filling up your name, Dave. What are you doing with this fabulous film studio? I have set it up as a classroom. And can you imagine if there's a film camera stuck in the back of a classroom and you're like watching in? That's exactly what it's like. So it's like running a completely normal day with the teacher at the blackboard doing all the stuff that you would normally do for primary school, all classes in primary and intermediate, and you're just tagging along from home by watching on your screen. So we just do everything you'd normally do in a school classroom. So these are for the homeschooling families, for parents who parents who want to homeschool but they don't want to have to do all the planning and all the lesson delivery and all the research and all that. They just want to be able to work from home while their kids are learning. Learning. Mm. And so all the lessons are pre-recorded and it's their whole seven years at primary and intermediate and they just log on whichever age they are and off you go kids and there's your teacher and have some fun. So that's my main thing. That, that's, that's my bread and butter. That keeps me going. But you can't lock yourself in a studio forever because you become like a hermit. You've got yes. to like, you've got to have your, you've got to have your be in boots and all, you know, you've got to have contact with the kids and you've got to stay modern and you've got to be up with the times and you've got to so. I've got two other little tiny classrooms that I work in as well as the film studio. One is um, a group of 18 teenagers and we hang out a few mornings a week like a little tutor group. And the other one is on the Marae where we hang out one day a week with a group of 18, again, teenagers, uh, Māori teenagers, and we're we're following an alternative education program specifically based at the Māori students to retouch them with their whakawhanangatanga, with their ancestral roots, their traditional teachings, um, and just combining the modern world back with some of their traditional customs that have been lost through the education system. That's amazing. And I remember we talked a little bit about that and you were talking about some of the outcomes that came from that and they kind of blew my mind a little bit. Like what's one of your favourite stories that's come out of that environment? There was, okay, so we're on the marae, so not all, your, not all your listeners will be New Zealand-based, so they might not have spent any time on a marae. So you're on your yeah. marae and you've got your meeting hall and you've got your dining hall and you've got your all your, you know, because all the buildings on a marae are separate. You have a, a room and a building that you do all your meetings in and a room that you sleep in and a room that you cook and eat in and then you've got your ablutions block and everything's separate and you right. do certain activities in certain areas and there is rules and protocol tikanga that come along with that. So surrounding the marae are all the little houses where usually all the elderly live and they come in and out of the marae constantly. You might have a little um, kohangareo on the marae which has got all the little babies in it and all the little kids and so everybody's multi-generational, there's just people everywhere. So we might have a class of kids set up in the dining hall and we'd put art easels up and and clay stations and various other bits and pieces and we've got some beautiful... um, uh, Maori tutors and teachers who have come in and they're they're teaching these in in the way that they would have taught in the past via story, mm. and they're telling these beautiful ancestral stories and gorgeous stories that touch with the land. And while they're doing that, they're working with the clay or working with the wood or carving and everything. And if an elderly person arrives on site, everything stops. If one of the nannies arrives, because somebody the the protocol is somebody goes and gets her a cup of tea. And right. then they sit her down and they get her something to eat and they check that she's all right because she is the elder, therefore she commands the highest respect. It doesn't matter who's in the room doing what. You have to to do that. So, And then she might stop and she might ask some questions in the middle of teaching, you know. So all teaching stops. I don't know how yeah. this is for, you know, teachers yeah. like who have lesson plans. Mm-mm. Bye-bye, out the window. Yeah. <laughs> and you just watch your entire class stop because Nanny might stop and go, and what are you doing? And then she might go, oh, I'll tell you a story about when I was young. And then the whole room stops and you might stop for an hour while Nanny tells a story. How lovely. And it's so beautiful. And during that time, one of the mums might have come in and and asked for two or three students to head out and give her a hand at the kohanga because somebody needed a lunch break and she didn't have enough uh, hands on deck. So two Mm. or three students had to just be removed and they'd just go and do their part and serve in the kohanga and do what they So they were doing their studies and they were learning their things and they were doing all this but at the exact same time that they were doing that they were living actual traditional Maori life mm. on the marae yeah. and was this normal for that particular set of kids or were they sort of oh, brought in for so this experience this particular set of kids were not um most of them were not fully close to their um 
ancestral Maori traditional roots. They'd grown up in the, you know, white Western world and their yeah. parents were, you know, lawyers and accountants and they'd gone through university and they were just living that normal, fast-paced Western world life. And the parents went, you know what? I'd love for our kids to go back and learn some of that other stuff and balance it out. Mm. And so the kids were, and, and and we'd stop and we'd sing and somebody would come in and, and the guitar would start playing and we'd get taught a kapahaka and then there'd be lots of language used. And and one particular family who spoke mostly um, te reo at home, this beautiful, the kindest, sweetest, dearest little boy, he was only a tiny and um, maybe nine, ten years old, and he, he barely said boo, you barely heard anything out of him. And one day he was working on um, his Fakatoki piece, which was a take a piece of ancestral history, a saying that's been passed down through the generations, and apply it to now. Where is that knowledge still relevant now in today's world? And he was saying nothing and he was having trouble with his art piece. Well, um, one of the tutors, the weaving tutor, took him outside with a piece of weaving and they just quietly began talking in fluent rayo. Mm. And they were just chatting away and the weaver was telling a story and then this kid out of nowhere who had not said boo in months that we'd been on site, his mouth just opened and he just started speaking in fluent rayo in story form about this incredible story that he felt within him that was coming out that he thought was being fed to him ancestrally. The kid spoke for 40 minutes. <laughs> Amazing. Non-stop in Florio to his tutor outside while they wove in the sunshine and they discussed these stories. And I went, oh, man. That was so real for him and that's where he could express himself in that environment with that tutor in that way in his language, letting it come as it should naturally be. You're never mm. going to get them out of, that out of him in any other classroom because it needed that setting for it to be real yeah. for him. Yeah. Oh, it's magic. Gosh, it's so important, isn't it? Like I wish we had... Like I know we've had a lot of people try and do two ways education in Australia and for various reasons they've, they've struggled a little bit because there's just these Western constructs around what it should look like. But I love, I love the idea of learning being sort of in the mix of life and not interrupting life or being taken away or outside of living and just having it be part of the flow. Like that seems so great. It's so different to what I would be used to, but like, it sounds fun. It was awesome. Yeah. And everyone just took a breath. Yeah. And, and how did inspired, you know? How did you get into this work? Uh, I had worked with another teacher who um in my film studio. And oh. um, and they were looking for a teacher who could come with a variety of skills um, because when you're a Steiner teacher, as you know, you come with a variety of skills and you play music and you do all the different arts and you do all these different yeah. things. Because in a Steiner classroom, you teach it all. You are the art teacher, the music teacher, the craft teacher, the maths teacher, the science teacher. You are all teachers because you stay with your class for the whole seven years that you are with them. So you are the teacher of everything. Right. So um, she needed a rounded teacher who was a teacher of everything so that because she only had enough money in her budget for this. It was a trial pro project. They'd got some government funding and they only had enough money to trial, you know, to get one teacher in there. So she needed one teacher in there who came with a large kite of skills and could teach a whole range of subjects and topics, particularly mm. in the artistic realm. And she knew that I was off school. Um doing my own thing quietly and she said could you could you do one day a week brilliant it was an honor a blessing and an honor and an eye-opener I won't go back and do the next part of the trial okay not because I didn't get on with anyone but because I know that I don't belong there yeah okay I was never made to feel like I didn't belong there I was I was treated exceptionally well and dearly loved um, but I understand now that to give the Maori 
children, their Māori experience, they need fluent reo-speaking Māori teachers who can connect back to that whakawhanangatanga if right. they want a real experience, not me. They, you know? Yeah. And I hope I hope that over time it becomes not just an experience but that that becomes life and education yeah. for those kids that need that. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. Well, I'm glad that they're they're working on that, and I hope that I hope that there's it, you know, expands and and becomes more broadly used because it sounds so valuable. See it happen. They got more funding based on the big trial that we did all of last year, and the ministry people that came at the end because we had a huge presentation day at the end, and the children we put out a large. Um, we'd taken films of them and they'd a uh, huge gallery that all produced incredible pieces of art and they spoke about their art and shared all their learning for the year and the ministry was present and based and they got big funding for this year coming which will oh, yes. enable them to get the teachers that they need because one thing we learned is it's not one teacher for 30 children we had oh, no. a we had a two to one ratio two children for every teacher out on the marae. It was a two-to-one ratio. That's how many staff were required to do what was needed out there. Okay, so here's a question. What would a two-to-one ratio do in a Western classroom? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) I would get goose chills and bumps thinking of that you know what that is that is the ambulance or the fence at the top of the cliff (laughs) we never land down at the bottom of the cliff requiring the ambulance that two to one ratio is the fence at the top of the cliff because you wouldn't lose them you wouldn't you wouldn't lose them everyone would get the time and the attention and the care that they needed and we wouldn't burn out the the teachers and the oh my gosh could you imagine it I can't imagine it, actually. I'd like to be able to imagine it, but it seems so far removed from reality, doesn't it? I know, like, I've been in a music classroom, like, in the senior years where you get to year 11 and 12 and they let them run, thank God, with, like, five or six students. And working with five or six kids is a dream. Um, it's it's unreal. And I know I had about five or six in my class in BCU music and it was we felt really cared about um, and really seen. Um, so I, I sort of got close to that, but I can't, I can't imagine what it would be like to still have 30 people around you all going through that learning with that many teachers. It seems very busy to me. <laughs> to me. <laughs> it was so powerful because there were people doing things in different ways. We weren't under each other's feet and we did have to learn to, because you put that many teacher egos in the same room at the same time. It's like, who's going to be the lead teacher? And as so long challenge. as you don't have a lead teacher, we had a, you know, the lady who was overseeing everything. She um, was our one that we all turned to. But the teachers on the floor, we saw ourselves as equals. And you just took off small groups to do various bits and pieces throughout the day because there were no bells and there was no schedule. There was no box that everybody had to fit into. When I realised that I didn't have to tick off paperwork at the end of the day, the learning wasn't actually in being together. The learning was having time to hear the stories. The learning was having time to be creative and complete the work at their own pace, in their own way. The learning was having time to sit with them. And I would be creating next door to the person that I was talking to because mm-hmm. that half of the teaching wasn't, half the teaching wasn't even through my, through my mouth. Half the teaching was I was sitting with a canvas or I was sitting with wet felting doing things or I was weaving or I was carving and I would have a person either side of me and we were just sitting or we were listening to the music or we were singing or we were, you know, telling some stories or somebody would in the room was a nanny was a talking and they were just watching my hands. Yeah. And then they would watch my hands and they would give it a go and something wouldn't work and they'd watch again and I'd try again and it it took time but there wasn't any lots of correction no do it this way this is right this is wrong this is and sometimes you just reach across and you just touch the piece of the work next to them because they'd done something incredible and you'd look at it and go ah and then I would go and try that and attempt it on mine and they could see that I was trying to copy them yeah 
And because they've come out of a normal classroom, when I say normal classroom, you know, standard, you know, public school classroom, they were only with us on Fridays. They weren't used to a teacher sitting next to them, learning from them at the same time that they were learning from her. Isn't that powerful? It took took them quite a while to get used to it, a whole term before they were like, this is weird. But I tell you what, by the second and third term, they were in it and they were correcting me and they were... In my teenage class that I work with in the mornings, my mentor group class, the 18 teenagers in that group, they have no trouble leading. They have no trouble um, having me not at the front of the room. They, um, that's their natural and their norm. Yeah. Yeah. I like... I, I identify with that as a musician because, like, I know I used to sit in band and I, I learned the saxophone from watching the person opposite me. So, like, I I get I get the concept behind that, but it would be so much more nuanced when you've got, like, like a craft like that. Um, and I wonder, like, I wonder how that can be translated into other forms like mathematics, you know, solving equations and things like that and and doing experiments. And I just like I'm curious to know whether that sort of observational approach to learning would translate into another system, do you know? Well, one of the girls uh, wanted to apply for a scholarship, which she actually got, $2,500 scholarship. And so she arrived one morning with paperwork and she'd said, I've seen this scholarship for Māori children. And I want to apply for it. So one of us was able to sit with her for the day because we weren't required to teach the other 30. There was room available to have someone sit Mm. and just talk through her application and talk through her answers, not tell her what to write, just talk through them and come up with ideas and brainstorm and then leave her be, let Mm. her see what she could fill in and go off and do some other stuff. And then later in the day, you know, she'd check in and go, can you give me another 20 minutes? I just want to run through. And someone would stop because there were other teachers that could take over other bits and pieces and you could give the time. And then she'd run through how she'd written her answers and what she did. And you could just give some feedback. Well, if it was me, you know, it could be done. You could say it from this viewpoint. If you want to convey this message, you could say it from that viewpoint. If you wanted to convey that message or so what message do you think you're trying to convey? And then you can walk away and leave them because they've got time and space. They're not so busy having to complete six different topics and sit, you know, in the 45 minutes per thing and do this and do that. She spent the entire day filling out this application form. But at mm. the end of the day, she had filled out that application form. It was in her words. She'd had intense conversations with a number of adults who had gone through it with her, but she'd done the work. She posted off. She won the $2,500 scholarship. She's 13 years old. Amazing. A teacher healer. So on the topic of healing, like have you got any other specific stories, I guess, that you've witnessed through your teaching work, either in Steiner or in your other um, learning systems that you've, you've seen that, yeah, you've seen that healing? Yeah. Through my online stuff, I hear it all the time. Parents cry all the time because um, I get a lot of children who have come out of school because of traumatic events and bullying and various other terrible, terrible things that are happening. And they finally get into an environment where they have that pressure removed and then they can fall in love with learning again. And so I get parents who are just crying down the phone going, my gosh, my child gets up and they want to learn and they want to work and and I haven't seen this for a year and I haven't, you know. And so I hear that all the time. But I think one of my biggest ones is in my latest mentor group that I'm working with. Um, And it was a, a young man now, he's 16 now, and he went through the public system and um, through kindergarten and and into the early junior years and Mm -hmm. he's Asperger's and very spectrum gorgeous boy but very spectrum and he didn't fit that system and he found it very very traumatic then he tried to go to alternative schooling so he came out to the Steiner school and he tried there for a couple of years and again he just couldn't make it work so then he went homeschooling for a number of years, just him and his brother being taught by mum. And he was successful, but he was missing a lot of um, uh, social bits and pieces just because he finds social interaction so tricky with his, with his um, 
Asperger's. Then he decided to join us to give us a go for mm. our little mental group. And he was absolutely petrified. Yeah. How is he going to do this? And at first the teenagers, and teenagers can be cruel, and he's quite quirky, and he doesn't have, you know, good social boundaries to understand, you know, when he's sitting too close to someone or speaking over top of someone or, you know, that kind of thing. And I thought, mm, what am I going to do with this? Because this is so, the teenagers were kind, but you could see that they were thinking, this guy's weird. What are we going to do? And I was thinking, well, this group's too small to have any rifts in it. We've got to be a united, cohesive unit. So I read to them the book, um, Curious Incident of the Dog. I saw that play in London and it blew me away. I know. Amazing. Isn't it awesome? So I read that Mm. book aloud to the class and the class clicked really quickly Mm. that the main character was identical to who we had in our classroom. And And they fell in love with the book and they fell in love with that main character. And because they fell in love with the character and they accepted him as he went through and they understood his struggles, suddenly they saw this boy in our room and went, we see you. We get you. We know what struggle you're having now because we can see how your brain works. I didn't have to say anything. I just read the book. And their whole, all their relationships changed, how they interacted with him changed, and they taught him how to interact really well. And by the end of the year, we were doing a reflection just before we headed off for Christmas and stuff, and I said, so what's your best thing about this year? What does everyone love? And we got to this boy's turn, and he went, for the first time in my life, I made a friend who's 16 uh, years old. I belong. I'm not weird. I'm accepted. And I'm in a room full of people, and he said, And because of you, he says, I'm going to go to university. And he said, and I'm going to do this. I'm going to go to university and I'm going to put myself out there. And he'd been shut away in his home for years because he was too weird and too quirky and couldn't fit Mm. any system. And this little group of magic teenagers just did it a different way. And again, I didn't say anything. They did it through observation. And through love, I did hold a big body of yeah. love over the top of it. Yeah, and I think that's probably the the essential piece, isn't it? Is like there's so many different ways you could have handled that situation. Mm. That's so great. And it's kind of like that's it the is, kind of yeah. healing you go, would that have been possible to have happened without an education environment and a, a loving teacher? Could he have reached that point without that experience? Would he have been brave enough? Would his self-esteem have allowed him to? So he learned a lot about himself because these teenagers that he opened up to throughout the year as they became friends, they understood that he is a fountain of knowledge if you get to know him. And don't judge him for his quirks. He is an encyclopedia on legs. And so they learned to go to him because they could see his strengths. They learned to go to him for extra information. They learned to go to him to go, can you, can you look over my assignment and tell me where I can do more? Can you look over this? Can you, who, what's the capital of that? Can somebody tell me such? And they would turn to him and they got used to turning to him. And he was suddenly not just accepted, but admired for his ability to hold Mm. facts in his head and so but that came through time and patience and relationship building and because we have no bells and we're not changing teachers every 45 minutes we're together stuck in the same room that one group for the entire year all those mornings each week and so you've got to get to learn to get on with one another you've got to Find a way through. I'm going to go a bit off script now because I'm really intrigued by this idea because I know I know autism and Asperger's is something a lot of teachers in mainstream classrooms find challenging and I know there's a lot of talk about diagnoses and medications and trying to get them to fit in and this and that and how do I and, and differentiation and it's just a big, massive, frightening place for a lot of teachers who don't know 
how to deal with these kids who are different. And I know I've always looked at autism as a superpower because I don't know where along the path I decided that that was fine. <laughs> but like, I, I, I don't know, like I've, there's all these people will say, oh, you know, Leonardo da Vinci probably had this, but like, we love him because he's gifted, you know? And, and I know I watched the imitation game and the guy who invented the computer, whose name I've forgotten now, Alan something, he, he, he had that problem, but he was able to do end World War Two and invent the computer at the same mm. time because of his superpower, not because it was a disability. And mm. I guess I I don't know where I'm going, but I, I, I'm curious about how we can reframe that experience for teachers to help them find pathways through because I know it can be a challenge when you've got 30 kids and one of them or two of them or three of them, you're like, I, I don't get this child or I don't know how to help them and I want to, or I get them as a person, but on the learning front, it's a bit challenging. Like, do you have any advice? Mm. On this topic, I actually do. <laughs> because being a Steiner teacher, um, we get a lot of, we have a higher ratio of kids who, you know, alphabet kids who come with every letter after the name that you can possibly mm. imagine. They've been assigned them because we're seen as an alternative mm. ed- education um, and we're seen as a little bit slower and a little bit more creative. So we, our rooms often get overfilled with children who haven't succeeded somewhere else, so they will yeah. go and find another school. So we are not supposed to have more than two children in your classroom who are spectrum-based children. Um, we would have 10 children in a classroom, so a third of your class. And uh, and you're in the room with them. You don't switch teachers during the day. You're in the room with those children all day, every day, five days mm. a week for seven years. So best you get to love them because you don't get a break. They become like your children and you don't get a break. And if 10 of them are on spectrum, you better come up really quickly with some really good ideas of what you're going to do. Because I have been chased around the backfield of the plank of wood, you know, being aimed at my head as someone was going to kill me because, you know, I had um, uh, triggered him <laughs> accidentally. <laughs> you're Hitler and you're going to die. And he's chasing me around the field because he's going to beat oh, me. So, you know, and the whole time I'm running thinking, damn, I shouldn't have done that activity the way I just did it. I knew yeah. it was going to change. <laughs> Lesson learned. <laughs> so what I learned was rhythm and routine are the key to the anxiety. So rhythm and routine does not mean boring. Rhythm and routine means this is how we start a day and this is what comes next. And after we've done this, this is what comes, this is the subject that comes next and this is the subject. And after morning tea, we always do this and this. And then after lunch, we always do this. As, it's beca- and they would come in and I would always put it up on the board as a, um, a visual every day, as a, a draw it and chalk on the board, the day's timetable. Because they'd unpack the bags, they'd come in the door and the very first thing those kids would do was come and check the blackboard, check that the day's schedule. Yep, the day's schedule is going to run as it's meant to run because they find it, the world is so busy and so hard and they're trying to process all these different things because their brains don't work the same way and they're quite overloaded. They're often running in, in um, hindbrain instead of you know, not in thinking brain because it's so scary because they don't know who's going to speak to them and who's going to expect something of them and who's going to ask them a question and who's going to. So they're often running in fight and flight. So they're not always running in their full front you know, frontal um, thinking brain. And they'd come in and they'd look at the schedule and go, right, at least I know today's going to run like that. And then after morning tea, I know where I need to be and I know what books need to be on my desk. And after lunch, I know where I need to be and I know what books need to be on my desk so I can be in the right place at the right time and I can be ready to start. And that gives a huge sense of, I'm ready I can now take on what's going to come at me because, you know, life is always coming at them. And then within the topics, I would always give a lot of freedom. So we might be studying, you know, an an animal-based topic or whatever. And then I would say, so you pick your animal or you pick your habitat or you pick your, because they needed to be able to have some control. I had to give them a little bit of control back these are the criteria that I'm asking for. This is what this assignment has to have to complete. You pick any animal that you think that's going to fit those criteria. 
or any you know biosphere or system or whatever it is that we were working with because then they could and and then when it comes to presenting your findings back to the class you can present back in any way you choose you can write a poem, you can do a PowerPoint presentation, you can sculpt it, you can you know, craft it in some way, you can paint it, you can act it as a small drama play, you can whatever you choose, a poster, a booklet, whatever. So these are the criteria. This is, this is what I'll be marking on. This is when it's due and this you can present in any way. So they were, how do you say it, controlled but not controlled? They, they had control over their... Mm. where their project went oh my gosh I got some projects out of these kids that I could one built a Roman ship this ship was a <laughs> half a meter long and a half, uh, three quarters of a meter tall it was made out of popsicle sticks it was oh my goody aunts he'd hand stitched the sails and there was Every sail went up and down and trapdoors opened and there were working cannons and the, this thing was incredible because that's it was a project on Rome and he'd chosen to do the trading ship and he hand-built it. Now, he didn't write one word for that assignment, but when he got the opportunity to do his presentation to class and he stood there, there was this <laughs> enormous ship that the entire class just went, What? His mother said she had spent three weeks on it at home, day and night, completely obsessed. He talked for 30 minutes about this ship. He knew everything about this ship. Mm. And that was his project on Rome because that was the bit that fascinated him. And the huge success and, again, the kudos he got from his mates and from the class. And he got so much praise and so much love because he was able to show his success. But if I had made him write something, I would have, number one, I would have got rubbish, and number two, we probably would have <laughs> beaten a piece of wood again. Yeah. <laughs> but he knew everything he needed to know about that project, as well as, if not better than anyone else in that class, and he wanted to be there. See, that just sounds like the kind of learning anyone would enjoy. You know, like that sounds, this is the thing that I'm always getting when people are like, oh, we need to, change the way we do stuff for kids who have these challenges. And I, I'm like, that's how, that would be good for everyone. Like, and that's what you did, wasn't it? It was the whole class got to have that experience. And I'm like, well, this just is sensible teaching. But but at the same time, I'm also like, that comes in, in such contrast to your previous story about that flowing in and out of life and interruptions. And um, yeah, so I'm like, so there's a massive cultural difference there and different things are going to work for different people. So, gosh, what do you do in a room yes. where you've got people who love to flow and people who love structure? <laughs> That's a challenge, isn't it? Why have we got mm. them in the same room? Why are we still running the Industrial Revolution system that says you enter school at this age and all five-year-olds, no matter who you are, you come into the classroom and you sit down and that's your, you know, you start and you'll stay with your year group the entire way through and you'll be sorted into your categories. You know, the top ones will be skimmed off at the top because you're going to be the managers who are trained in the factories and the middle ones will be the worker bees and the ones who don't, you know, get at the bottom, you'll be the floor sweepers and the, because that's what the system was designed for. So these systems that I'm having huge success for with don't, have that the the children are being is handpicked the right word I don't know selected for their learning styles and what they're looking for and the education program is being tailored to that group of children for a specific yeah. outcome so on the marae it wasn't just anybody who went those children were selected they were put, and the, the environment that they were required was put around them for what they needed and the specific piece of learning that they were going to get out of it by the end of the year. So everything was crafted for success for that group of children. It wasn't designed for everyone. It wouldn't have suited 
everyone. It's not a one size fits all. Yes, and I think maybe therein lies the error that we've been doing, isn't it, is the one size fits all approach that the colonizers have imposed on the rest of the world. And then Mm -hmm. I suppose when you look at the idea of streaming, perhaps that's an okay concept if you did it in a completely different way and if you did it based on learning styles or, or like, you know, learning needs based on just who you are or your personality or whatever because I I love both of those models and I don't know where I'd fit better um, because, like, mainstream schooling, I could survive easily. I'm bright like that. It was easy. Literacy was easy for me and everything is a literacy test, right? So I, I got through, but did I enjoy it or did I find value in my schooling? Um, no, not at all. I was bored most of the time and the only reason that I managed to stay at school probably was because I loved music and I loved being creative and I loved having friends. So um, even for someone who the system works for, it doesn't work for, you know, so I'd be interested to see where I'd fit. Like I, I don't enjoy for, for some reason I like routine, but I also like, cause it makes me get up in the morning. Otherwise I could sleep all day, but I like having a flexible work environment and working from home really works for me in some ways, Do you know, being able to get up and start when I feel like it and finish when I've done my hours and take a break if I need to in the middle of the day. So there's a, I need a level of flow, but without the structure, I could really go off the rails. So it's, it's an interesting one. Like I'm really, I'm curious about that. And I'd be interested in seeing, hearing from some people who have some ideas for some systems or models that we could work around that would, would help us find those kinds of different kinds of streams for people. I'm fascinated by this. That's a cool concept. All right. Now, Francine, one question before we move on to the deeper stuff. What most excites you about working outside of the traditional system of education? I have my love of being a teacher back again. I was really tired. I loved being a teacher in the Steiner system, but I was really tired. There were a lot of meetings I had to attend. There was a lot of reports I had to write. There was a lot of tracking and planning that had to be double, triple, quadruple checked. There were a lot of parents that I had to make happy. All of that's gone. I am now just a pure teacher and I spend my day doing what it is that I love doing which is teaching tell me you don't have to write to reports are you serious like do you have to still do that kind of thing I don't do reports get out I don't do uh reports I don't do big meetings I don't do um swap my planning with 10 million other people that have to be checked and triple checked I don't Come on, there must be there must be a, t- a twist here. Like you must have to do marketing or parent conversations or like what is it instead? Do you know what I do? Mm. I open up that triangle, the parent teacher child triangle, and I make it work for me. So when I've done my planning for the year, my overview plan for the year, because I hold the whole thing together as a you know an arch overview, doesn't matter which class I'm working with. And I'll take it to the kids, to the class, and I'll go, right, this is next year's planning. This is where we're going to go for the year. And I'll present the topics and I'll say why I think we should be doing them and what I believe that they are for skills, skills for life and I, why I think they're the areas of the curriculum that we should be looking at and studying and what I think they'll get out of it. And then I shut up and I let the kids feed back. Mm-hmm. And I let them question, why would you teach us this? We think this is irrelevant. I would teach you this why. This is why. Mm, Actually, that's not a bad idea. Could you do it in this way? I love this topic and this topic. Why are we doing this topic? Do you think we could substitute out that topic? Because we really don't see that as relevant. But we see where you're coming from and the skills that you'd like us to have. Could we instead do this topic? So by the time I get to the end of that meeting, at the end of that year, with the planning ready for next year, They've had a full say. They've got full buy-in. The topics are what they want, and it's going to cover everything that I need it to be covered, and they've completely owned their curriculum. Then I take it to the parents, and I go, this is what I've come up with. These are your kids' changes. This is what I want at the end. How do you feel about this? And the parents give their feedback. And then I open it up even further and go, 
So who's going to help me in this bit and this bit? You're a marketing expert. You're a legal expert. You're a such and such and you're a such and such. I could really use your skills. How about you come in and help me in these bits and pieces and this is what I really need from you. Can you come in into these? Can you take a day off at this time and come and share this skill with me? By the end of that meeting, I've got full 100% parent buy-in. I start my year, day one. Everybody knows what the curriculum is coming. Everyone's got full buy-in. They all want to be there. They've all had their say, and we are ready to go. You are living the co-creation dream right there. It is awesome. And do you know how many hours it saves me? I don't get any emails of angst and worry and all that kind of bits and pieces because the parents know they're welcome. Mm. And not not only do they know they're welcome, they know I have an expectation of them that they will use their expertise in my classroom and assist. And so you're bringing real world stuff stuff in as well. Oh, my goodness. Why would I not? Why would If I'm teaching the financial literacy module and we're setting up small businesses and I've got two, you know, people in my classroom whose parents own small businesses and they know everything there is and and they do marketing and they do digi marketing and why wouldn't I bring them in? Yeah. Come and show us how you did it. It's just so logical. And the parents love it and the kids love it and we have a blast. And I check in with the parents once a term. We have a meeting and there's wine and cheese and crackers and it's casual and it's in a lounge and um we I check in and and let them know how the class is doing as a whole and they ask certain things and they might raise an issue or something if they've got an issue about something and we discuss it and then we work to go forward I do the same for discipline I so I don't do behavior management and discipline like I used to have to do Mm. that takes such a huge loading off me that whole pressure of having to keep everybody because with the teenagers the older ones you know um I set at the beginning a a great big conversation around the discipline and the behavior and go so what are you looking for when you're working in a quiet environment and you're doing research and everything what kind of noise level do you want you tell me we want it really quiet when we're doing research, but when we're doing such and such, we want to be able to whisper and talk quietly. And when we're doing such and such, we just want to be able to chat and blah, 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 blah. Excellent. So if we're in this really quiet research thing and you've asked me to keep the room quiet for you and somebody isn't, how would you like me to handle that? Mm. And they tell me how they would like me to handle that. We negotiate it together. So when it comes to that and I have to do it, I'll tap someone on the shoulder and go, just remember, we're in that quiet spot and you asked me that if we got in the quiet spot and there was somebody being yakky and too loud, that this is what I would do for you. And this is me, you know, following that for you. Hmm. No discipline issues. So I have an incredible relationship with the parents, good relationships with the kids. I've got no behavioural issues. They've got buy-in to the curriculum. They're learning everything they want to learn. They've had their say. I've got no bells. I'm not losing them every 45 minutes. I have to I have to create relationship with my kids. And I can't do that on a few minutes a day. I need time. Mm. So I have them for a long time. And and I let myself be vulnerable as a human being the same as they do. I don't let it all out of the bag. I mean you've got to be a teacher, you've got to professional Mm. boundaries but I don't try to be a fake person either Mm. so there must be something going on here what are you not telling us what's the hard bit the hard bit uh there's a lot of um I feel a lot of responsibility on my shoulders in different situations Mm. So, you know, the, for my online classroom, I do all the planning and I do all the lesson delivery. So if I'm not far enough ahead of the classes, remember I've got seven classes following me in there. Mm. I have to be enough videos ahead of each of those classes, otherwise they're chomping at my heels. And so if I'm not far enough ahead, I fill my weekends. 
that's all there is to it. You don't, you know, you don't get a weekend, you don't get a holidays unless you've, you know, all your work's up to date and you're, you're done. I can't just, you know, close down. And I guess, you know, with everything, there's good and bad. So, but what a small sacrifice to pay. Mm. I, I get this incredible opportunity to be teaching and learning and doing incredible new things and feeling inspired every day that I wake up. But in order to do that, the price I pay is I got to work a lot of hours. Which I mean, most teachers feel they say that they're doing anyway. So, you know. Yeah. It depends, though, I guess, if they feel that their work is productive or not. I only do the work that I feel is going to be productive. I'm not doing useless work. And I'm not sitting in in meetings that I wish I was, you know, not sitting in. So just, just to clarify, because I, I think we just didn't quite cover off what the model looks like just before we move on. Like what, what actually do you do in this, your main work that you're doing with your recordings and everything? How does that look? How many classes? How many days? So it's seven years, classes one to seven. Yeah. And it's five days a week, Monday to Friday. Mm-hmm. And for each of those classes. And we do, uh, you know, movement, spelling, reading, writing, math, science, art, technology, social studies, history, geography. And is it online or face-to-face? Online. So I pre-record everything Mm -hmm. and then the kids have a login. I use Thinkific as the platform. The reason I have to use Thinkific as a platform is because we have, well, so far we've got 9,800 videos up and they're all filmed in either 4K or 8K high, super high definition because most of our computers and things that we're on now is called 1080, which is about like 1K. And in five years' time, um, because everything's being replaced by super high definition, Mm. then everything would look grainy and old-fashioned. So you're planning ahead. So I have to record now because it's going to take me so many years to record it all. I have to record now in the highest 4K and 8K stuff, which means the video sizes are massive. So the platform that has to hold them has, um, you know, I hold my files on, not on little USB disks, I hold my files on terabytes. I have a drawer full of big terabytes. Yeah. So um, are you, you know, are you like recording sessions and then you do work sessions with the children? So I'm recording and working alongside them and they press pause and do a little bit of the work and then they carry on with the instruction and then they press pause and carry on. So it's self-paced for them on their end. Self-paced. Yeah. Because lots and lots of people choose homeschooling. Some it's because um, it's just suiting them. Some are bullied. Some are um, huge spectrum, so they find the outside world just too overwhelming. They can pace themselves at their own spots. Some are really living remotely and getting in and out of traffic would be terrible. Some are living in the heart of the city and sitting in two hours traffic a day is terrible, so they're Mm. better at at home. Um, Some uh, have got... Intense um, health concerns and and cancers and immune autoimmune disorders and various other bits and pieces, um, and they can't be in big classrooms. Like there's a whole raft of reasons that people choose mm. homeschooling. Mm. So they need flexibility. Some are professional athletes or professional musicians, and they spend you know hours and hours and hours a day working or on the road touring and doing various other bits and pieces. And they need to fit their schooling. So because we pre-record everything, they just turn it on when they're ready, do the lessons when they're ready, turn it off when they're not, pause it when they're sick or pause it when they're receiving treatment or pause it when they're on the road or whatever, and then come back to it. And they haven't missed anything. That's the thing. They haven't yeah. missed any schooling. They don't have holes in their education. And so do you then set like synchronous times for conversations with them? or Nope. People can uh, talk to me. We have uh, like a, a group a live group and I'll jump into that live group um, a few times a week mm-hmm. and those who want to be in the live group will jump in and we'll all chat together and we'll ask questions they'll email me they'll send me messages they'll we've got little message chat boards for each class and sometimes I'll you know do a live session occasionally we can get um, we'll go around the island and we'll meet up in the regions and we'll say listen we'll be you know, in the Wellington region on the weekend or we'll be in such and such region on the such and such. If anyone happens to be in that region, this is where we'll be hanging out. Okay. And so anyone who's within travelling distance will come and catch up and we'll, you know, just form some relationships and they'll form groups between themselves for, you know, get to know one another who is in that region. But we've got people in, you know, Scotland and England and America and Australia and South Africa as well, not just in New Zealand. So different time frames. So it's quite a racket you're running there. I think it sounds amazing. And like... um 
I just don't know how you're doing it all on your own. Like it's, it sounds massive, but wonderful. So congratulations to you is what I'll say to that. And how amazing that you found this path that suits your lifestyle and your needs as well as well as meeting the needs. It's a win-win, you know. You've met the needs of so many others. Yeah, I didn't find it. It was dumped in my lap. I, you know, I just sat there one day feeling sorry for myself, you know, looking at the heavens going, this is not fair. I didn't ask for this. (laughs) Why didn't it happen to me, you know? And I said, I want to teach, but I only want the good teaching. I want the teaching without the grumpy parents and I want the teaching without the reports and without the meetings and without the tests. Can I have that teaching, please? And then I just started to dream the ideas and they just started to be delivered to me. And I woke up in the morning and went, I can make that work. I'll play with that and see how it goes. And thankfully it started gently and quietly without, Mm. you know, giving me time to grow into it. So how long have you been at it now? Um, Three years. Three years, amazing. So, Francine, what is your wish for education? (gasps) My wish for education is to build the fence at the top of the cliff. And not the ambulance at the bottom is my wish for education. Fund it. Put the teachers where they need to be. Give the students what they need because one size does not fit all. My wish for education is that people start to get rid of this industrial model and go, we don't all have to be in the same class doing the same assignment and be standardised into the same box. We are individuals. Our jobs haven't for these young people haven't even been invented yet. My guidance counsellor never sat down with me and told me I could work on a space station and 3D print the tools that I needed from a computer program based back on Earth. No. <laughs> Even my job doesn't, didn't exist when I was in school. We didn't use exactly. the internet. Exactly. We didn't have any of the, I didn't even get a cell phone until I was married, you know. It was. <laughs> it, it just didn't exist. It was. It, the jobs are still coming, so the system doesn't need to be this great big fit all into one box. The system for me, for education, is more about growing incredible young people. And if you can grow incredible young people with a vast, wide array of skills and knowledge, not just in academia, but in life skills, communication skills, relationship skills, problem-solving skills, all these incredible practical skills. Can they tie, change a tire and change a light bulb and build stuff and measure stuff and cook stuff and sew on a button and plant a garden and as well as, you know, read, write, spell and count and, and, and have conversations about history and how history plays out in the future and, and all these do all these different incredible things and then just grow these amazing young people and then just let them see what world opens up for them. Mm. They'll put themselves into their jobs and the jobs will come and they'll be ready for them because they'll have such a vast array of skills under their belt. Well, they'll be like you. They'll be creating their own ideal job. Why not? Mm. Amazing. That would be great because, you you know, you can build the fence at the top of the the cliff and you can spend the money up front on the education system and you can treble the number of teachers and you can not knock down the schools but rearrange how the schools are being made and how classrooms operate and who's being taught in what classroom and what subjects are being taught and, and how to create gorgeous relationships and stay with the same class for long periods of time and build friendships and do all these different things. You can just totally reuse the space that's there because if you don't invest the money there, then you're going to invest it at the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff and it's going to cost you triple the amount in the long run because it's going to affect your health system and your mental health system and your criminal justice system and your beneficiary system and your every other system that is breaking and falling over and picking up people. It's going to cost triple than what it ever costs to resource the teachers in the schools at the top. And it's just so right, right, isn't it? Yeah. When you look at things like the obesity epidemic and trying to get people to quit smoking and domestic violence and all of that stuff, you're like, that could actually be all prevented by really solid relationships and quality education that works for everyone on their own Money up front will save you triple down the line. Mm. And imagine the society that you have with that money is spent up front. 
and really invested in and really going, how can these young people be incredible young people to, to launch into the next generation and really put the power there? Mm-hmm. And that also means sourcing quality teachers. Teaching is not a job for people who can't do anything else. Teaching is a proper profession of the highest degree. We have the care and the futures of these young people under us. You can't just wing it. Mm. So really understanding who your teachers are and really understanding who you need in the coalface and the skills they need to have and what they need to be resourced to be there. Mm. I taught with way too many teachers who shouldn't have been there. Yeah. I taught some amazing ones. Don't get me wrong. I taught to some of the most incredible people I've met in my entire life and it was an honour to teach with them. And I taught with some others who I went, you are just damaging. Yeah. And I think as well there's those people who have bucket loads of potential but just aren't invested in, you know. Like I know I think I started out as one of those teachers. I was in a school that didn't invest in me. I had no clue what I was doing. I'd skated through. I tried my best. I was just trying not to drown. But then I... I took a break six years out, went back into a school that invested in me. And boy, George, you should have seen what I achieved in that school, you know, and I didn't think I was capable of it. But actually in the right culture with the right people believing in me and the right professional development, I did amazing things and that was cool, you know, and I'd like to see more of that myself. Yeah. That the management, that oversees the the new young teachers coming in. Mm. the new teachers coming in who are green, the management that should be around them Mm. to enable them to come in and learn and grow into incredible teachers. Mm. And having the best of those teachers doing the mentoring of those teachers, not just the other guys, you know, (laughs) which I think is a little bit what happened to me. But, okay, so what, what do you think then is the potential for education to heal the planet? Well, if you take young people and they will eventually grow up, obviously. Mm. If you've got people, young people, and they're trained in, and they just do it naturally because they're being educated to do so, they know how to get out of their fight and flight reflexes and response. It is normal for them to learn how to take a breath or participate in gratitude and meditation and healthy practices. They know and understand uh, good eating and good healthy, you know, decisions around their their weight and their what they're putting in their mouth and their exercise and their so they're not super ill and sick. Um, they're taking good care of themselves. They know about the planet and how everything is interdependent and they know how everything is linked together and we're all we're all on this one planet together. We can't step off when we stuff it. We all have to work together and everything is connected and every biosphere and everything is connected and they have respect for that. And you grow those people and they have respect for each other and in relationships and they've got skills and dealing with communication and relationships and, and goal setting and all these different things. And they're allowed to live and express their passions and their creativities and study things that interest them and they feel that education is really worthwhile then you grow them into the next generation of parents and then they raise the next generation and then they become the wisdom that passes down to the next generation below or the next two or three generations below. Can you imagine the mindset that would change? We wouldn't be polluting and destroying and raping and pillaging the environment. We just wouldn't. And we wouldn't be poisoning our bodies and poisoning our food chains and poisoning our everythings. We wouldn't be tormenting with mental health our our young people. We would, you know, if you could capture this generation, then this generation goes on to become the parent of the next generation. Mm -hmm. And I just think we could do something quite incredible if people woke up every morning with that different mindset, and that became the norm. Hmm. Does that make sense? It's touched me very much, actually. Mm. We have that power as teachers, you know. 
we have that power to impart all of those incredible skills. We start every day with some form of mindfulness or gratitude practice. We have communication skills when things go blur. We live creatively. We love our environment. We look after our bodies. And this is what we do on a normal, everyday basis with these young people. This is their norm. I can't wait to see these young people grow up. I can't wait. They've not been stuffed in a box. They've not been told they're at, above, below, not meeting targets. They've not been stifled. They've not been. They are the most incredible young people that I'm so privileged to spend my day with. And they think so differently and they're so kind and they're so compassionate and they're so full of adventure. And they're, man, if I could replicate them. This island would just be quite different in the generations to come. You know, I think the part of that that was key for me that I haven't actually heard before that surprised me was that we're going to raise the next generation of parents. Because, you know, a lot of people say they're the, they're the next generation of leaders or they're the next generation of scientists or whatever. Who cares, actually? Yeah. The next generation of parents. Oh, my goodness. And when you think the change that's happened in just, say, two generations, you know, in my line, yeah. and I look at my nana living in poverty and working in an envelope factory and having the tips of her fingers cut off and dealing with an alcoholic mother and all of that stuff, and then to think the change I've made in my life, what could happen two generations down if I have children and they learn in this way not just doing it on your own but having a whole system around you to help you heal all that so that you can go forward into something new and and fresh and healthy that's really something isn't it it's too hard to try and change those who've been set in their ways for too long Mm. that's where our power is in the education system because the young minds we have in front of us are open. So sculpt, sculpt the incredible future you want to see for the generations to come and sculpt it into these young minds and then let them go because you don't know what they're going to come up with. We don't have to try and shape it all based on our old-fashioned, you know. That's just beautiful. And I think it's a lovely place to finish. And I'd like to just thank you so, so much for coming and joining us and having this chat. And I know that all of the listeners of Teacher Healer are going to thoroughly enjoy all of your stories and there's going to be a lot of food for thought to take back to their own practice. And, um, gosh, I hope to have you back again another time to, to hear some more of your progress and how you're going about healing the education system and healing the world. Thank you. I've had fun today and thank you. And good luck to all the teachers out there. You do an amazing job and just don't forget that you are so incredible. Thanks for listening to the Teacher Healer podcast. Find more episodes and information at www.teacherhealer.com. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, please rate us or refer us to your friends and colleagues. And if you care about saving the world from plastic, click on the Zero Co link in the show notes to learn what you can do to help.